0: even though working for companies you know is maybe not even the challenge in the market but having a challenger mindset just keeps you awake and i think you can learn something from working in places like this that would be amazing as well for corporate life so i think those are at least some of the traits that i think any company could benefit from
1: And we are back for Series 3 of Transformation Stories from the award-winning Belltech Café. This series, we're talking innovation, commerce, emotive marketing, and career changes. We'll also dip into trends in fintech, digital health, retail, mobility, manufacturing, and speak to CEOs, CDOs, SMEs, and lots of other acronyms too. As always, you can expect gloriously unscripted discussions that shed an open and transparent light on the ebb and flow of our digital world. I'm Tizzy Philp, and welcome to the podcast. Only 5% of neobanks will be profitable. So what is the secret sauce that propels those lucky few to the top? What are the trends that are making the biggest impact? And how can the financial services industry as a whole continue to work towards consumer-centric business models that meet the needs of their customers, as well as supporting their bottom lines? In today's conversation, I'm joined by Anne-Marie Kimberg, Chief Revenue Officer at fintech startup, Luna. Designed with consumers in mind, they are 100% digital, always accessible, and provide everything needed for consumers to make the most of their money. We'll talk about that in more detail as we get into the conversation, but what's perhaps more interesting about Anne-Marie is that she's joined the scale up following a successful career in big tech, including roles as COO and CMO of Microsoft in Denmark. So from big tech to fintech, we'll discuss the hows, what's and whys of this accelerating industry and how she's adapting to the change of pace. So Anne-Marie, welcome to the podcast. Many thanks, such a pleasure. (laughs) It's great to have you. After that introduction, I'm sure some of our listeners will be very interested in hearing more about your career trajectory and what it was that triggered you to make the move from one of the world's biggest and best-known brands to a lesser-known startup. Maybe you can tell us a bit more about that.
0: Oh, Sure, I can. So I think, first of all, I've worked with digital services all my life. I have more or less only worked within the commercial space, in the go-to-market space. So I've worked with everything from analytics, pricing, partner sales, product development, anything that was related to go-to-market just brought broadly with digital services, right? I've been in big blue brains most of my life, which means, for example, the largest telco company in Denmark. I've been within both banking and payments before or in fintech before. And then the last three years before I started here in Luna, I was with Microsoft. And I think, honestly, I've loved all of the jobs I've had. I've also loved the blue brains, loved working in corporate life. But after 15 years the wish to try something else, the wish to try the startup feeling or scale-up feeling. Luna is it's always a discussion Or you know, when you're a startup, when you're a scale-up, we're around 600 people right now. But getting that scale-up mentality, getting the entrepreneurial mindset under your skin and try that after 15 years in a corporate world was just too big a temptation. So yes, I left Big Tech, even though I was super happy about it, and then joined Luna around maybe eight or nine months ago.
1: And haven't looked back.
0: <laughs> <No.
1: And> it's <laughs> always been quite a fast ride, so there hasn't been much time to look There's back. There's no time to look back. Yeah, I gave a quick introduction then for our audience into Luna there in, in the intro, but let's talk about more about the company and the opportunity that your team or the team at Luna recognized in the market. How are you confident that you'll end up being that 5% of profitable success stories for neobanks or fintech companies? Yeah,
0: Um, There are many things into this. I think Luna was born with a challenger mindset. And that was also some of the things of why I wanted to join as well. So I think banking is one of the oldest, almost in acumen we have here in the world, right? And I think in many ways, a very interesting industry, also a lot of innovation happening within what you could call traditional banking. But what you can also just see across the globe is that the urge and wish to challenge the traditional way of doing banking is there. And Luna is a part of that as well. We want to challenge the way that you do traditional banking. We want to be super transparent. We want to be simple. We want to have an amazing consumer offering out to our customers. We can see that we have that. Uh, Overall, we are loved on Trustpilot. We get amazing customer satisfaction scores. People love the app. We can see that especially some of the people that are maybe not so used to relating to their own economy. They find the Luna app so easy to use that they can actually relate to it now. They understand their economy. They understand how much money they have, what they spend it on, etc. So making financials, which is not a super sexy subject in itself, but making that super accessible for others and super easy to understand, that is a part of our core DNA. Luna was established back in 2015. It has developed since then. So we're not only doing it for consumers today. We also have business banking. We call ourselves a bank built by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. We can see that, for example, here in Denmark, almost half of all new businesses, they apply for an account with us, which is something that we're super proud about.
1: Hey, that's interesting.
0: Exactly. And then recently, we have also gone into payments. So e-com payments, if you have a webshop and want to receive payments, we're also offering that out to our customers and even also non-banking customers. So just to say we are expanding our services continuously all the time. But the whole idea of doing it in a different way than what you traditionally do, that is part of our core DNA.
1: How do you differentiate then? There are lots of fintech companies that are coming out of the woodwork at the moment. What makes Luna different, do you say, and how have you managed to focus on that differentiator?
0: I think one of the ways that we do differentiate, uh, for example, that is some of the neobanks that you were also talking about before. A few of them are not even expensive from a very large regional base, covers big regional areas. We have Mm -hmm. chosen to focus just on the Nordics. Nordics is a very interesting market. It's one of the most profitable fintech markets overall. So we are in Denmark, Sweden, and Norway currently. And we are going deep there, which also means you can get the full banking experience. And now this might not sound super interesting or maybe sexy to talk about infrastructure, but we are actually going into the you could call local country infrastructure. You can get the full banking experience. You can have your salary account with us. You can have everything Mm -hmm. else. So you get the full deep banking experience, but just in a much more simple way and in a complete digital bank, no branches, amazing customer service, really highly rated, amazing product. Uh, I think half of our users open our app every week, which is also, again, just a testament to the experience of this being extremely easy to understand, etc among both consumers and businesses, really, really high customer satisfaction. So we're super proud about some of these things.
1: When we were having a, a conversation in preparation for this interview, we're going to talk a bit more about your introduction into a scale up and the difference of, of what, you know, where you've come from and what it's now like working at, at Luna. But one of the brilliant things that you said was we walked in and you, you or something was wrong with your computer or something and you asked where the IT department was. I love that i mean this is a real culture shock isn't it moving (laughs) moving in yeah this this role
0: yes and then moving back to both the reasons for why i started which could give me something but it also means that there's something i am not when i start i started because i wanted that startup feeling the challenging thing i perceive luna as a super cool brand Mm -hmm. so a lot of these reasons was why i started right but just in coming the first day I had sense again, also Microsoft is quite relaxed, for example, in everything from clothing to the way that you collaborate, etc. So it's not coming directly from a classic bank, uh, but still, Yeah. I, I thought that that was super techy and cool when starting here. And then at the very <laughs> first day, because I needed to get a laptop and I asked for the IT department and they were just all laughing at me because no one says IT in a scale up. Everyone says tech, <laughs> there is no IT. So it's just a small example, but there are tons of these small examples that also just tells you that you're in another world.
1: I'm interested in that though, because you mentioned there in that response that it, it's a very cool place to be and that the product is very cool and you know it's all designed around the customer, which is clearly an, a, an important and, and vital thing in, t- in today's world. But how do you turn something from being a cool product into something that actually turns a profit?
0: Yeah, and that is an amazing question as well. It's also one of the difficult questions right? because if you just look at it from a global point of view, you can see that ton of neo banks and neo banks can be many things today, right? For example, we also offer payments. We don't even define ourselves only by being a neo bank, we define ourselves as something that is broader even than that. Mm-hmm. a lot of those are profitable and i think that there are many reasons for that first of all when you look at it overall just on the fintech space massive investments have gone into fintech during the last years which also means that there are a ton of new companies and overall you can see that often there is also a correlation between how young or old as a company you are and when you turn profitable Mm -hmm. for example Mm -hmm. a bank like we do we go into local clearing infrastructure it's super expensive. So first of all, there is something about massive investments to go into this space, which also just means that it will take some time before it can become a profitable business. And then second of all, there is something about finding out what is then the profit pool or revenue pools that you can tap into here in this space, because we know that we can build an amazing product that the consumers and businesses love but to turn it into a profitable way. If you look at some of those that are profitable to they are still also tapping very much into some of the traditional trades, for example, banking. It can be lending, for example. So finding mm-hmm. a way through the credit space, finding a new way to do that, that is one of the missions we're also on. And you can see that some of the New banks, for example, that you referred to just before that are profitable, they have gone either deep into, for example, lending. And that has been one uh, place where they are turning their model profitable. Some of them have also, for some time, had quite profitable activities within crypto. Yeah. That is maybe less a possibility currently. In the fintech space right now, you talk about quite many... uh, winters right now, you both talk about a funding winter, you're also talking about a crypto winter. So I have 100% confidence that crypto will be, I don't know whether I dare to say be big again, but have the same kind of interest and a greater potential than where it comes from. But we are talking about more or less officially a crypto winter as well right now.
1: Good that you mentioned crypto, because one of the things that I did want to talk to you about on this podcast, as you know, is trends in the fintech space. So that leads us nicely. It's a perfectly timed segue into that conversation let's talk about trends let's talk about how you can be sure that you're creating a product that isn't just part of a wider hype curve i'm very interested in hype curves and you know we're in a world of talking about the metaverse at the moment although i did just read in the in the press this morning that meta or well, mark zuckerberg has been asked to uh, to ease down on his promotion of the metaverse because it's not turning the revenue that they were anticipating that it would which i don't think is necessarily a huge surprise but maybe i'm a metaverse skeptic but oh, go... I, i'm not a metaverse skeptic actually but okay. i don't know whether no, okay. <laughs> no, okay. not, i 100% believe
0: it will come it's a matter of time and you talked about hype curves right and we are probably way too early in the hype curve for it to materialize into something that will be profitable but i have 100 confidence that we will come there
1: there are definitely some opportunities you know we've seen some really nice opportunities across the retail space the luxury space in particular has yes. got some really awesome examples of metaverse application but let's let's see let's see we'll have to, <laughs> yeah. have to talk again in three years when we're at a different point on that curve and see what's going on but there are obviously lots of different trends in in fintech at the moment so let's talk about some of the main ones that you see what it what if you believe in the metaverse what else is, what else is on your radar
0: <laughs> i think it's a
1: mix of different
0: things so first of all we have already touched slightly upon it but just ch- changing market condition yeah massive investments have gone into fintech still investments going to, into fintech so it's not that but you do more or less officially talk about a funding winter right now So with that also comes maybe a second thing that is interesting, and that is also just a shift in focus, both from investors, but also just from the market broadly within fintech. More focus on sustainable business model, profitable business models, and less Mm -hmm. just customer growth. And Mm -hmm. I've said, I've been here for maybe eight, nine months. I've seen this shift even just throughout the last short of a year. A big change from just focus on customer growth to down to, you know, focus just on the profitable growth. It's not that investors was not interested in profitable growth before, but the urge to build something up and make it large and focus on the more pure customer growth was just bigger before.
1: It's such an interesting point that you bring up there because very timely. Again, we interviewed for this series, the CEO of Mobile Pay yesterday. And they're another example of a company that has scaled rapidly, huge customer base, you know, almost everyone in the region is using, is using the service. And yet their challenge, the major challenge that they talked about yesterday was that ability to be profitable. And what do you need to do next to make sure that it's profitable? Because the conversation isn't just about scale and growth. It's about making sure that we're able to monetize it. Right.
0: Exactly. And again, a little, just as you talk about the cycles
1: before, there will come a new
0: point of time again, where focus will be more on customer growth. But for the next coming years, it will be all about profitable growth. Yeah. Yeah. Then I think uh, we do still see some, you can discuss whether it's disruption or it's some kind of, I also call it the industry mixes currently. When I started in banking and payments quite a few years ago, many of the banks sold off their payment divisions, at least here in the Nordics. And something is shifting right now. Also, when you look at it, at least from a European point of view, banks start going into payments again, or at least considering. And a lot of the payment companies also now start considering having some kind of banking service as well. For example, if you see a company like Klarna coming from being, Pure BNPL provider suddenly also offering some kind of banking services. You can see Revolut coming from the Neobank side, now also offering some kind of payment service in the e-com space. You can see it with ourselves as well. We started out from the banking side. Now we suddenly also offer e-com or web, uh, web shop payments. So there is some kind of industry mix and flows going on. And I think that is interesting as well. Agree. I think I saw someone, it was just uh, some kind of online meme, right? Something like, any bank CEO wants a well-functioning app. Any neobank bank or fintech CEO wants a banking license, right? So yeah. there is some kind of envy <laughs> yeah. across the industries and some kind of industry crossover happening within this space right now that is interesting as well. And then I think the fourth one, we've already talked about it, but... From the massive investment that has gone into fintech, a lot of it has also earlier been into some of the new spaces. It could be crypto, web-free, blockchain.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think some of that innovation, I don't know, maybe it will be paused currently. It will come back. But I also just think that some of the more radical ideas, at least if not in winter mode, then maybe in autumn mode. I still, when I listen to investors and listen to the in broadly, the expectations are still there. It will be big. For example, crypto payments, take that as an example. All of this, it will be big. Blockchain will become even more important for us. But there's some kind of time shifts right now that is just interesting. For example, we created around crypto. We created a uh, separate company just for our customers to do crypto investments. So it's called Block, And we have also built that also to be able to do other kind of blockchain investments and investigations, et cetera, further on. So I think everyone is aware, but also trying to find out how fast we need to scale it currently.
1: We're going to talk about the massive culture change in more detail, you know, from coming from big tech into a scale-up startup type of environment. I'm wondering if it's as easy or easier to innovate in a scale-up slash startup versus in a big tech environment where you might have more budget, might have more resources, might have more experience or, oh. or open doors to you. What, what's what been your experience of that? Is it is it easy? In- to have less red tape or actually do you need the foundations of of the bigger bigger business
0: amazing question so again coming from microsoft i think microsoft this is an amazingly innovative company and a company with a lot of resources but also investing a lot of resources into r&d but i think across the many companies i've been in i think There is an abundance of idea when you work in a challenger environment. There is no shortage of amazing and innovative ideas. So I think it leaves you the innovative and the mindset is really thriving in a place like this. But then there is a fair question, okay, that is good. But then what about resources? And of course, the companies I've been in before, also the more Nordic ones, had larger uh, development budgets to some extent. But I also have to say, I've been in companies where we have been maintaining 11 legacy platforms. So one of the places, and that might sound super nerdy, but one of of the reasons for why I joined Luna was actually that in an interview with the CEO and founder of Luna, he said that, do you want to come to a place where 80% of all of our development budget goes into new innovation and new ideas instead of just maintaining uh, old legacy platforms? So again, I think I've been at amazing places with amazing platforms to set up. But still, it is true in many big companies, a large proportion of the development budgets goes just goes into maintenance or even goes into maintenance of several legacy platforms. And we just don't have that.
1: That is great. But also, don't you feel a sense of vulnerability in always building new, new ideas? Does it make you feel that you could always be doing more, that there's always the next big thing versus stability in yes. a really brilliant product that has been running is it, it might well be legacy tech but it it works
0: yeah but no no a b- very fair question as well i think uh, as again working in a scale up there is also some things that is maturing because there's a lot of unsettled things when you're in a growth scale up like luna and i think one of the things we have trying to learn ourselves also in the time that i've been here has been a lot about not launch and leave <laughs> but launch and then keep the team around it so they can do continuous improvements because it's easy getting to the launch leave and just find out what happens to the product. Someone needs to handle it, go to market, but actually just keeping the development team around it and do that continuous improvement, that is one of the part of maturing and where we're also maturing currently.
1: I think there's so much to talk about in and around this. I now want to slightly change track a bit and talk about the customer, right? Because these sort of companies are built in service of the customer, completely consumer centric, built to solve a real customer challenge, to make things simple, to make things transparent. You know, all the the words and the concepts that for a consumer are great, they're brilliant. What are you actually hearing from the customers? Like, how are they responding to these new products and the this new approach to payments and, and banking?
0: Yeah, I think uh, overall amazing customer feedback. So really high, as I said before, in customer satisfaction scores, high engagement in the app, and a lot of returners, etc. But I do also think, and also just an open and transparent conversation that. We can see, for example, we don't offer uh, some of the traditional banking services like a loan when you buy a house, which also mm-hmm. means you know, that when you get to the age where you, where at least some choose to buy their own home, it means that we either lose them or we will become a secondary player in their life Certainly, So there is something about... For the ones that don't own a home, for example, we can be the full banking relationship or we don't, don't only only just call it banking relationship. You know, we try to call, talk ourselves about something that is everything money. So you don't only think of us as a bank. We will help you with many different things. Overall, we would like to help you thrive with your money so you understand your money and everything else. But again, amazing mission. But again, if you need a house loan, you need a house loan. So... <laughs> That is maybe some of the feedback that we do get, that as we don't have the full portfolio of services, there are some that likes us a lot but still say goodbye when they reach that kind of stage.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. We maybe end up in a situation where consumers have multiple different banking payment apps. You know, I for sure have on my phone a grouping called finance and it's got you know six or seven different companies or apps in there that i use for different things whether that's my mortgage or my isa or my monzo account or you know whatever whatever it might be so there's also something quite interesting about the fact that you know this question or or discussion around centralization of banking where that goes to next because for a company like luna what is then the future? How do you keep innovating? How do you keep making that product better for the customer when you will hit challenges like but you can't offer yeah. you know the huge loans?
0: I think it's about as you just said you just said this as well, very fine yourself, that your habits are also changing. So you can see that if you look at it from a traditional perspective, the average bank relationship is actually longer than the average marriage. <laughs> really, it is, and it's wow. not because you're more satisfied with your bank than what you is with your marriage. It's just that some people care maybe less. Some people think it's extremely difficult to change your bank, etc. But I think there are tendencies in the market and you know, in society right now that just makes consumers more aware that you can actually have multiple relationships also with vendors that help you handle your money, just as you talked about. You are a very modern consumer. You even have a full section just for your financial apps, And we see that tendency more and more coming. So I think, for example, in the Nordics, traditionally you have just had one bank, but we can also see that bringing up. You can see we have 500,000 customers right now across the Nordics. And we have grown quite intensely throughout the last one and a half year, maybe maybe two years. But still, many of these customers will still also have the traditional banking relationship. So it's just suddenly relationship to something else than it were just in a a historic perspective. So I think that is where we also see a game for us to play and why we don't want to define ourselves as a traditional bank, because we will never be that one bank or one vendor that you have then for... If I'm, I think an average, average marriage is maybe 11 years. So I don't know for how long, 20 years or how long you have your average banking relationship, right?
1: I really like that acronym. I'm sure there's something clever in there around interest rates. If I could think of a pun quickly enough, it would be around, you know, <laughs> yeah. well, at the moment in the UK, interest rates are rising. So maybe there is something there in, yes. in the marriage acronym. I don't know. I don't know. I'm probably taking that on a strange tangent, but Okay. Great. Thank you for giving us that insight into the customer experience. I think you're right around modern customer behaviors. There tends to be a tendency for us to think about, you know, is this fit for purpose for an aging generation? Is this fit for purpose for people who are less digitally literate? You know, is it fair for us to put all of these kind of services online and digital? But of course, the future is digital Everyone is growing up or mo- babies have mobile phones these days. You know, we have to be able to, to produce products or services that are, are based digitally because that is, is what the, the customer of tomorrow will need.
0: And, and by the way, I think maybe just one inserted comment there. I think for me, you could say that some of the first ones choosing a product like Luna was probably some of the ones that were super digitally savvy, right? But I think some of the latecomers to Luna, uh, and which is also part of our core identity, That is the one that are less digitally literate. We also talk a lot about serving the underbanked, which is Mm -hmm. a social dimension into banking, I think is super interesting. So we can see that some of the groups out there that can either financially or digitally literate, because our product is so easy to use, they actually like us, they understand what it is that we're offering and they understand the money better. It means a lot for us. You can also again see that among entrepreneurs, with the recent conflict that there also is in Europe, we can see that we have grown, we launched a product, banking product for Ukrainian refugees that came to Denmark. We got around 2000 refugees there. And it's also just to say that they also understand it, even though for them, we also got appraisal that it was super easy for them both to onboard and use the product. We speed scaled the translations and everything else, but those kind of elements means a lot to us. Also being something for the ones that can find it intimidating with the traditional providers
1: that's so brilliant. That's a really nice angle to talk, to talk about actually. And brilliant that you did that. God, I feel like we should have started the, the, the podcast talking about that. That's a, that's a whole one, a whole topic for another one. <laughs> Looking at the time, that's going to have to be a whole topic. But you know, that purposeful uh, impact is, is, is huge. I, again, conscious of time, know that we need to wrap up this conversation, but I want to talk to you about your learnings because there will be lots of people who are listening to this who are maybe in big tech or in a traditional bank or whatever it might be. I want to know what your major learnings have been when it comes to making that shift in your career and what you've learned about the industry as part of making that shift.
0: I'm super happy about where I am but you know if I should ever go back to corporate life some of the things I would take with me or I would try to take with me because things that I'm really learning here the speed of decision making, that you can actually take enormously fast decisions, even though you also have larger portfolios of customers than what we have here in Luna, etc. There is something about daring to shortcut some of the decision making to take those fast decisions that can really, you probably also work in large organizations where it can drag out multiple stakeholders, etc. Sometimes it must be fine just to do that fast decision making. I think we took, for example, the decision to make Ukrainian uh, accounts set up set off resources to it. I think we took it, you know, during 12 hours. There are quite often that we can take 24 hours decisions as well. So I think that is super inspiring. Then the entrepreneurial mindset, of course, for us, it's super ingrained. I have a manager who is the founder. He keeps pushing that entrepreneurial mindset all the time. When I had been here for uh, maybe a month or two, we had a launch that was delayed. And coming from big corporate life, I was like, yeah, but it's okay. You know, there are good reasons for why they had the delay. And he just looked at me completely dead serious and was like, if we don't launch something every month, we die. And of course, we won't die if we don't launch something every month. But it's just to say that urgency, just sense of urgency is so ingrained in everything here. And I like that as well. You know, that would be amazing to take back to corporate life as well at some point of time. Then the challenger part, again, even though working for companies, maybe not even the challenger in the market, but having a challenger mindset just keeps you awake. And I think you can learn something from working in places like this that would be amazing as well for corporate life. So I think those are at least some of the traits that I think any company could benefit from.
1: Yeah, really good ones. I think a lot of people will recognize that and be slightly envious of uh, of some of those, particularly the quick decision-making. 12 hours, that is impressive, uh, but it, it's very important, of course. Oh, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. We're on on the half hour, so we're going to have to wrap up, but honestly, it's been such a joy. And thank you for sharing all of the uh, the detail around your background and Luna as well. Wishing you lots of success, both personally and professionally in the new role. Hopefully uh, no more IT department slip ups
0: <laughs> <No. laughs> I think I've learned now. Thanks a lot. And thanks a lot for having me. It's a pleasure.
1: You've been listening to the latest transformation series from Valtech Café. Hit subscribe to get access to our whole back catalogue of conversations. And if you'd like to know more about what we do, why not visit us at valtech.com for all the details. Until next time, thanks for listening.